What's up, everybody? Welcome. My mom wanted to say... I'm just joking. Oh, Curb Your Enthusiasm did not cast me, unfortunately. But the casting director, who's one of the biggest in Los Angeles, told my manager, we're not going to cast him for this part that he auditioned for, but he's perfect for the show and we want to find a role for him. Hopefully, fingers crossed, in this season that they're filming right now. Alright, let's get into it. I made a movie, not the horror movie that I've been plugging over the past couple weeks, but this was a spontaneous, uh, on a whim type of production. I wrote this script uh, a couple months ago. It's just three pages. I just wanted to tell a story in three minutes, and it's not even three minutes, it's actually uh, like two and a half. But your mom wanted to say, no, okay. My mom actually just had surgery today, so. I made a movie called Cain and Abel. It's pretty much a modern day telling of the Bible story, Cain and Abel which comes right after Adam and Eve. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Cain kills Abel because he's jealous of him. It's a super condensed version. So in my movie, two and a half minutes, I don't over, I really don't explain very much. I just kind of let the dialogue speak for itself. And that's a lot of fun, allowing the audience to put things together and figure out which is the good guy, which is the bad guy, who's Cain, who's Abel. But I made it and it's getting a good response. I think it has over 60 likes on uh, YouTube. And to get a thousand views on a YouTube video in less than a day, usually only food reviews do that. But to see my drama suspense movie that's not comedy at all, there's no comedy in it. To see that get a good response from quite a few people is literally so encouraging. And I feel like it's that movie is a precursor to the horror movie that I'm making this month. And actually, on Wednesday, I'm expecting to have a full cast and crew here of people who are going to be under my direction, and I'm running the set. Well, speed walking the set. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, when I was editing my, my horror movie, I actually made myself puke. Uh, not from laughing or anything, it's, it, I, it's pretty gross. I don't want to give anything away, but then again, some of you might not even watch it. So. I was editing this scene, and it's gross. And I caught this one image so specifically, and I went, and like, threw up a little bit in my mouth, or in my double chin. And then I went to the kitchen and was like, spitting that super thin saliva for like three minutes until that image popped back into my head, and then I just lost it. Lost my lunch! But I was like, okay, well, that has an effect then. If I made myself, um, you know, regurgitate from this little scene... And I, I filmed it beforehand, obviously, so I know what was going to happen. And it was gross to film. But what are other people who aren't expecting it going to think? I, pe some people might not even make it past the five-minute mark. But that's just a little update on my cinematic ventures. I think I need to be always making a short film at all times. I want to make a Christmas movie. So that'd make three movies that I would have made this year. Carnal, Cain and Abel, and now this Christmas movie that I'm planning. And would have, once I release, once I release Carnal, I'll have two months to finish a Christmas movie. So I want it to be like a modern day telling of the Grinch, Home Alone, and Scrooged. Kind of mixed into one story. Where it's like the Grinch, you know, and, and uh, Ebenezer Scrooge kind of go through the same process and find like not love but the the meaning of christmas at the end and so i'm going to be doing that where I, my character is trying to destroy christmas for a bunch of other people but then they all turn around and are super kind to me and give gift me and i'm like what and then i see the meaning of christmas da do dory da do dory okay there's this uh, lady that i walked past recently 
it was like Mother's Day or Father's Day, and I was walking to my parents' house wearing my Sunday best. This. I'm actually bottomless right now, but you can't tell. And there's this lady sitting on her walker, and I can tell that she's, I mean, she's kind of contorted, and so I can tell that what she has, I mean, it reminded me of Stephen Hawking when I saw her. I thought Stephen Hawking right away. And I wasn't going to engage with her, I was just going to keep walking, which is unfortunate, because she looked at me and she goes, oh, you look nice. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I kept walking and that was my only interaction with her. Well, recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was walking past it to my parents' house and walked past her house, and her walker is sitting out on the sidewalk with a for sale sign on it. And I started crying, because I don't really think that she would have just gotten a new walker. I mean, maybe. But what it told me is that she had passed away. Whether or not that's true, that was my perception at the time, and I (laughs) cried all the way home to my parents' place. And my mommy comforted me. Something else that really gets me and, like, really wrenches on me, I was watching this compilation of innocent people who were wrongly convicted and spent years or decades in prison. I had to turn it off. I couldn't I couldn't keep watching it. It makes me so livid to think that the justice system... There was one dude who was put away for 27 years. And then somebody finds out that, oh, this guy's actually innocent. He didn't commit the murder. 27 years of this dude's life, they just took away. And the guy, and the guy still thanked the court when they dismissed his case and gave him all his stuff back. He left the courtroom, but he he turned around and said, thank you. Thank you. That's not what I would be saying. In fact, my instinct would be to like, well, since you think that I committed the murder, why don't I actually go for it? Because I'm already in here as, as an innocent man. And if you, if you put me in here for life, then... I don't know, that would be my instinct. I wouldn't just be able to sit in a prison cell for 27 years hoping, hmm, I wonder if a lawyer will... I mean, the lawyer that helped him could have been five years old when he was convicted. And then now he's like 32, 33. Really wrenches on my heartstrings, dude. I I really can't handle watching or hearing about stories of men and women who have been wrongly convicted. There's a movie about it with Denzel Washington called The Hurricane where he plays a boxer who was put away for 50 years. 50 years because of a corrupt cop who pinned a murder on him or or a couple murders. When Denzel Washington's real-life character gets out of prison after 50 years... He was a boxer, so the boxing organization actually gifted him a heavyweight champion belt... As if he had just won, but I think that I think that's amazing. I think that's so cool of the uh, of the boxing, whatever they're called. I wanted to talk about the dentist, which I don't even like to talk about the dentist. I really, if dentistophobia was a thing, I would have it. Dentophobia? I don't know. I hate dentists. I probably I don't think I've been to the dentist in like ten years. I just hate it. I hate it. When I was young, Kobe and I, my little brother and I, went to the dentist. <laughs> And I told him, I was like, did you know that, you know, the water that they spray to rinse your mouth out, there's urine, there's like pee in there. (laughs) I heard him, I'm sitting in the waiting room and I hear him screaming and wailing from the dentist's office. And my mom comes out and goes, did you tell Kobe there was pee in the the water? And I was like, yeah. My mom really, really did not like that. So I had a palate breaker when I was... 13, 14, something like that. And then I had braces too, but the palate breaker was awful. Basically, it attached. It was this whole contraption that connected on either side of my 
case. And then on the roof of my mouth, across the palate, was this whole metal contraption, like a retainer. Only there was a lock and key that every day my mom would have to put the key in the lock and twist, and it widened my palate. It was a palate breaker. Super uncomfortable. I hated that thing. Food would get stuck in the in the little gap, and so I'd, I'm constantly playing and getting food out of there. Plus, I never even wore my retainer afterwards. Like, I had braces for six months and then a retainer. I didn't wear the retainer, so everything went back to normal. So, the whole process of the palate breaker and the braces was all for naught. But I think, specifically, I hate dentists. Because my first time, I don't know if it was my first time going to a dentist, but my first time getting teeth pulled. This was the first and only time that I ever had teeth pulled from a dentist. The rest after that was was my dad. But the first time that I had my teeth pulled, I don't think he waited long enough for it to numb. So he gave me a couple shots. And I have this image of him pulling my teeth like this. <laughs> and I am probably exaggerating it. It was probably just a traumatic experience for me. I doubt that he was, like, <laughs> ripping them out. But it it really hurt. This dude did not wait. He just pulled out my two front teeth, and then I started crying. I was like, ah! And I just remember him going, shh, Colin, it's okay. You're fine. You're fine. And that is the dentist hurting me and then telling me, oh, like, shut up. You're fine. Not okay. So stupid. I, I swear. I mean, maybe that was my first time at the dentist at all. I, I think it had to have been, but that was a horrible first experience and I think really integrated a phobia into me, but whatever, screw them. Now I can actually go to the dentist for free because of my health insurance. I gave my job history in two podcast episodes, two parters uh, a couple months ago, and I mostly just talked about all the stuff that I was bad at in my jobs, but there were actually some stuff that I excelled at, so I wrote four down. Well, three. I could have written more, but I... Couldn't think of any, though. Maybe not. I remember my first kitchen job. After a month of consistently showing up right on time or just before, which from film school I learned that early is on time, on time is late, and late is never again. So I didn't want to be late or on time. <laughs> but the kitchen manager walked past me one time. I had just gotten to work, and he goes, he just walked past me and goes, thank you so much for being on time, dude. And the way that he said it made me think that he wasn't just talking about this specific time. I think that he was talking about the month prior, the whole month, whatever. And I think that he was separating me from the rest of the crew. I <laughs> There was one time I showed up on time. I don't know if Corey thanked me, but one of the employees, he goes, dude, you just made me look so bad. And I went, uh, you make yourself look bad. Yeah, me showing up to work on time makes you look bad for being late. Oh, gotcha. It's my fault. <laughs> okay. <laughs> While I'm talking about this one guy who was late and, like, you made me look bad. There's this one story that I have to tell. He, something happened and he, something happened where he looked at me. But he was playing, but it was like this aggressive, like this. And when he did that, I knew that he was playing. But I just did this little lip quiver. So I backed up with him and I just went... And he started chuckling, and then I went over and did something, and then I came back and looked at him. He had his glasses off, his face was beat red, and he was silently laughing like, <laughs> because of the little, I know that he noticed the lip quiver, and that's what made him laugh. So that was fun. That's one of my favorite moments from any job, is just this little, like, and he, I've never made a coworker laugh harder than that moment. So I made him look good then, but I'm, I'm very punctual. You know, with the commas and the periods and the... 
I pulled up to a film gig one time right at 8 a.m., like on the dot. I was surprised. Actually, no, I wasn't surprised at all. <laughs> but as I pulled up, the pastor that I'm filming with, he sees me and he checks his watch. And I was like, yeah, yep, yep, you know. <laughs> Which is funny, when, when you get, like, to class late or... Or to work late. Not saying that I was late, but when you do, they check their watch. And he checked his watch and saw that it was on time. So, that's always a really good feeling. Boxing boxes for the state? I got into a really serious groove. Like, when everything's stocked up, I can do my job very well. I can get to the point where it just seems like muscle memory, and I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing. I'm just going through the motions. Which is kind of... That helps, because it... Puts you in like a robotic mentality, which is kind of what they want. They don't want people with personalities and, <laughs> and ways of doing things. Well, personality is fine, but eventually people at jobs go, why don't you talk? I'm like, oh, I, I guess they, they're weirded out if I don't. But I was like, I just don't like you. <laughs> it's really hard to do my job well when things aren't stocked and we're kind of skimping. Things are 86th. It's hard. I feel discouraged. Like, uh, But like I said, when things are stocked, I do very well. Like, my job at Top Golf, I had, like, the fry station here, and then a whole station here. I could, like, get down into the cooler, reach up, grab this, toss this, plate it, put it up, and just be so quick. But things, when things aren't stocked, I gotta, like, run to the freezer, go get this, uh, go get this from Dish. Oh, I couldn't stand being out of the little boats and plates and stuff that we served. Being out of them, because Top Golf was so busy, we gotta, like... Coordinate with Dish is so frustrating. I'm sure there's more things that I excel at in a job. <laughs> I just have to think about it a little bit harder. But I hate jobs. I don't know how much I've talked about, like, deaths in the family. And I know that this is not a very glorifying <laughs> or comfortable subject for a lot of people. Especially when people have experienced probably more death than me. Death in the family. That's mostly what I'm talking about is death in the family or, or close friends, maybe. Uh, my cousin Jason was, unfortunately, he, he had a problem with his weight. I mean, he was he was bigger than me. He was like 400 pounds and a little bit taller, too. So the dude was just big. And he passed away five days before his 30th birthday. He got he came down with, we thought it was pneumonia, but it was actually just heart failure. And he was in the hospital for three weeks. Two of those weeks, he was in an induced coma. Because he was just coughing a lot. And he called my mom to take him to the hospital. And then they were like, oh, why are you coughing? Oh my gosh, you're dying. So this hospital sent him to a new hospital. The second location, after a couple days, released my cousin. They're just like, yeah, you're fine. You seem fine. He went home and died in his bed three days later. Last time I saw him was on a Sunday. Ugh. Oh, I guess I haven't thought about this in a while. It's just so sad. So irresponsible of the hospital. Anyways, I, I walked him out to his car, and that was the last time. And the dude had lost like 30 pounds from not eating in the hospital. I just wish he'd been given a second chance at life, man. He never had a girlfriend. And in the hospital, he actually told my mom. He told my mom that there was this one girl he was looking to ask out. When he gets out of the... And literally none of us know who that woman was that he was talking about. Not even his mom. We never asked. He just said there was one woman that... 
He wanted to ask out after getting out of the hospital like he had found the courage with this close-to-death experience. And then he died before he could ever ask her. And that's that was 11 years ago now. So that one still hurts. And I'm only 27, but it'll continue to hurt as I get closer to 30. And even past 30, it'll be like Jason never made it to this point. So my great-grandma died right after Jason. Literally right after. She was 98, so it kind of makes sense. She was in an old folks' home, and she was so ready to go. (laughs) She was so ready to die. At one point, she laid in her bed, just like this, and she wasn't talking to anybody, and she wasn't eating. And so they called my Aunt Bev, uh, Jason's mom, and my great-grandma's granddaughter, And my Aunt Bev went to visit Great Grandma. And she goes, are you okay? You're just like, you've been laying still? The staff is worried about you? And my Great Grandma goes, I just figured if I laid still enough, the the Lord would take me. (laughs) And she got this urinary tract infection at the end. Where she was talking to us like this. Bing boing, bing da dang dong. What I, good I and she thought she was making sense. And we're all like, but it's this urinary tract infection that was causing her to think she was communicating and she's just talking gibberish. She even was like planning to escape the hospital, not the old folks home, but the hospital. And she like started whispering to my mom and she's like, Mindy, we're getting out of here. You know, as if it was a prison escape. I remember getting my great grandma, uh, or maybe it wasn't me that got it. I was filming her, though. I think I still have the footage. And she opens a Christmas present. And she just goes, Oh, goody. <laughs> and the whole family just erupted. It was like, oh, yay. But she was opening a, a bag of Werther's caramel candies. So, oh, goody's right. Uh, my Aunt Bev did get breast cancer a couple years ago. And she is she's been free from breast cancer, I think. I think four years now, maybe five, and she's going to get regular checkups, obviously. Because breast cancer, I think, if you beat breast cancer, there's a there's a high chance that it's going to come back. So for her to get checked out regularly like that, it wouldn't allow the cancer to grow. Hopefully they would find something. But that was, that was scary. My dad had a heart attack at 50, and he's almost 60. He'll be 60 in January. And at 50, he had a heart attack. We went to this theme park, and we rode a roller coaster. And right after the roller coaster, my dad started feeling a little strange. But it wasn't until 24 hours later, the next day, that he had this feeling in his chest like he had to burp. It was just like a... And he kept trying to burp. And my dad could make himself burp and nothing was working. So he took a nap and then he woke up and it was still there. And then he, he just hopped online, heart attack symptoms. My mom came into his office and then he just looked at her tears in his eyes and said, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he was. He had a 80% blockage in a couple arteries, and then they went up through his wrist and put a stint in there. And this all took place in Brazil. And actually, the had he been in the States, the whole stint process would have been much different and possibly would have would have produced a different outcome. So that, that was pretty scary. The most recent one is my Uncle Dave. And this this one was tough, too, because... He had just turned 60. This was in November of last year. My Uncle Dave, who was the brother to my dad and Aunt Bev. This is all the Everett side. 
which is interesting because my my dad's family, my dad's side of the family tends to struggle with the more uh, physical ailments or physical health issues. And then my mom's side of the family tends to struggle a little bit more with the mental health issues, which could be the case for like every couple. There's like mental health and then physical health and then they're passed on to the kids and then the kids, you know, pass those on. So unfortunately, my dad's side is has had all the health issues, but Jason, Jason, great grandma, Aunt Bev, my dad and Uncle Dave, my Uncle Dave was unresponsive for 24 hours, maybe more. People showed up at his place, and it's so funny because how he recalls it is they knocked on his door to wake him up, and Uncle Dave said he woke up and he was so angry that people were waking him up, but he didn't know that he had just suffered several strokes and several heart attacks. So that means for 24 to 36 hours, he's just laying there having heart attacks and strokes and he doesn't even know. From December to February, my uncle lost 100 pounds just from this whole process. And now he's using a walker at 61. He'll be probably using a walker for the rest of his life. It's really just sad to see these aren't issues you should be having at 50 and 60. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to stop that topic. I'm going to talk about some pet peeves. I'll just end the podcast out with this. Um, washing hands in cold water, I hate. I just figured that out recently. I mean, I, I put, like, a title to it, but I've always known yeah, I, it's just hot water. I use the hot water all the time. Cold water feels really uncomfortable. Washing my hands in cold water, I can't stand it. Plus, I don't think it washes nearly as much or as well. Another pet peeve is when I'm using my phone and I click, nothing, click, no response. Click, 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 Okay, thanks. TikTok is doing that right now. TikTok is glitching where if you leave a comment, the whole screen freezes. Leave a comment, send, I can't scroll, I have to exit out of the app. So that was fun to figure out. Click, 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 click. Technology not working for no reason? Boils my blood. It causes me to panic and feel absolutely helpless. Especially when people make videos on how to solve it, but none of those solutions are working. Or I can't get a hold of the right people. Or people are like flabbergasted by the problem. Like, oh, it shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I know. I just, when technology doesn't work for no reason, like it's not broken, it's just glitching. I get a type of angry that I'm embarrassed to admit. Literally happened to me yesterday where I just got angry about something and I didn't, I didn't like put into motion the punch, but I had the instinct to throw a punch just suddenly. And then I was like, oh, that's my microwave. Maybe I shouldn't punch, maybe I should go punch the punching bag instead of my microwave. But I was surprised. I was like, whoa, whoa. I just almost threw a punch into my microwave. (laughs) But I'm glad I can go out there and punch the bonus because that's what I named the punching bag. And because of all this, I just made a video about this where I'm, like, using the remote and it's not working. And then I just take off my glasses and then I go outside and just wail on Sabonis. Yeah. So I've talked about pet peeves before. And whenever I think of more, I just write them down and I want to talk about them in episodes. But that is my episode for this week. Again, sorry it was a day late, but thank you guys so much for being here. Make it to the end if you did. Huge. Thank you guys so much. Check in next week. Peace, everybody. Peace and love.